Welcome to Headlines. This is Ari Wasserman sitting in for David Lichtenstein. Harshas Bereshis. We are Baruch Hashem starting the cycle of leaning the Torah again from the way beginning. And we have a direct connection to our topic in the show today. We have a Shalom Ba'is issue. First wife, first husband, first husband, first wife, Adam and Chava. And as is known, we have the serpent who entices Chava to eat from the eighth Sadas, and she in turn, Chava entices, requests, force, whatever happened there, Vatitan, Gamli, Isha, Ima, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate from the eighth Sadas as well. And what we're going to be discussing today is, should a husband always accede to the request, demands, desires of his wife? Is that a positive approach to Shalom Bayes? If you're always giving in, you're never going to fight over anything. Apparently, there's nothing to quarrel about. And also, we'll be talking about the theory in Shalom Bayes that it is the husband who is always responsible for any Shalom Bayes issue. So, accordingly... If he's responsible, he's to blame. He has to be ultra careful to not get into quarrels. And we will also talk about more generally husbands, wives, wives, husbands. Somebody in Shalom Bayes once told me that one thing every spouse wants to do is change their spouse. So we will be discussing that as well. Can we change our spouses when something bothers us? One of the main texts we'll talk about today, actually the main text we'll be talking about today, is the book, The Garden of Peace, A Marital Guide for Men Only. We will be talking about that text in particular to very important principles brought in this text. This is the book that is written by Rabbi Sholem Arush. And uh, page 40, 41, those are going to be the uh, main principles that we'll be talking about. We're talking about a number of principles in this book, but these are the two main principles in the entire book. These are the foundations of marital peace. So first, the wife is a mirror of the husband. What does that mean? Any deficiency he sees in her is actually his own deficiency. So if there is a problem in the wife, she is lacking in me, those lacking in whatever it may be, that is simply a mirror of a lack that the husband has. That is principle number one. Principle number two is as follows. Never make any remarks, comments, or criticism about anything she does, even if she's done a gross misdeed. So we will be discussing with our guests on the show those principles and many other concepts in Shalom Bayish as well. We will be starting out with the renowned Rosh Yeshiva of Eisha Torah, Rabbi Yitzchak Berkowitz. And then we will move on to speak with Rabbi Lazer Brody, the translator of the Garden of Peace, which was written in Hebrew. He translated it into English. Then we will move on to speak with Rabbi David Rosman, a real expert in Shalom Bayis, a Shalom Bayis author. He's the director of Eishat Torah. And then we will culminate the show with Rabbi David Kaplan, the Mashkiach Ruchani of Yeshiva's Beis Yisrael, also a prolific author. He has written two books on Shalom Bayis, one for men and one for women. This week's Parsha, as we mentioned, Parsha's Bereshis, we have an interesting chain of events. We have a Kodesh Baruch Hu creating animals, we have Adam created, and then Adam goes and names all of the animals. He sees everyone as a mate, except he himself. Chava is created, and then at that point, really things fall apart. The sin of the eight Sadas, we have the eating of the, uh, of the fruit from the eight Sadas. Chava ate, Adam ate, and then we have the sentences, the punishments by a Baruch Hu of the serpent, of Chava, of Adam. 
And right then, after the handing down of the sentences, which are very severe, which are very strict, obviously they were warranted, but we have the punishment, one of them uh, towards Adam, you're going to have to schwitz, you're going to have to earn a so that is a terrible life, negative changing event. You wouldn't have had to work before, now you're going to have to spend your days working, schwitzing, really uh, toiling to bring home a Parnassah. And he very easily, we're talking about Adam, could very easily have pointed the finger at Chava and held a real vendetta against her, blaming her. Initially he did. He said, Kaddish Baruch who consulted him, asked him, inquired what happened here. He said, oh, the woman, it's her fault. But right at that point, right after the sentence was given, he gets back to business. This is what Rashi comments on. He gets back to the business of naming, and he gives a name to Chava, and a beautiful name. She is the mother of all life. And what we see here is that Adam is ready, willing, able, and indeed moves on. He moves on. He could have pointed the finger continually forever, but he moved on. He gave her a beautiful name, and he just saw going forward, let me pick up the pieces. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to despair. I'm going to look forward. We have to create life. We need to move forward from this very difficult period that we've had just now. I was just uh, walking the, the, on the street in, uh, during Sukkis, and I had the pleasure uh, of encountering, of running into Rameer Goldvech over, over Sukkis, and he told me an amazing story that he heard from Rav Shlomo Zorban Arbach. Rav Shlomo Zorban Arbach in the Cheder Yichud when he got married. Not the second day, third day, fourth day. But in the Cheder Yichud, after the Chuppah, he tells his wife as follows, I know because of my personality that I am simply going to be getting into fights with you. I know I'm going to have a difficult time when we have issues that we need to deal with and settle, and it's just it's just not going to work out. So I made the decision, the unilateral decision, that for the next 10 years, whenever we have something that we need to decide on and we see it differently... You are going to make the decisions and not me. Whatever you decide, that is what's going to work. So indeed, that seems to be one of the theories of, uh, of Shalom Bayis, that the husband should simply accede to the desires of the wife. And it worked unbelievably for Rav Shlomo Zarman Arbach. In, indeed, uh, Rav Goldvecht was told by Rav Shlomo Zarman Arbach the following, yes, that happened. I told my wife, 10 years, whatever she decides, that's what it's going to be. And it was very difficult for me. It was very difficult for me, but he says, but Rav Goldberg, you have to know that working on your Midos is a lifetime effort. And indeed, Rav Shlomo Zaman was known to have unbelievable, impeccable Midos. And we see from this story that it wasn't simply natural, innate, but Rav Shlomo Zarman Arbach is telling us that it's because he worked on it. And he had concerns he would get in quarrels, and that's why up front he addressed it by acceding to the desires of his wife. It's actually famously known that at the funeral, Rav Shlomo Zarman Arbach, when he was being masked his wife, he was uh, giving the eulogy of his wife. He discussed the custom that a spouse, the husband, asks Mechila from the wife, and he explains that although that's the typical custom, he had lived together as husband and wife with his wife for decades, a number of decades, but he had not once quarreled with his wife, and he had nothing to ask her for Mechila. So unbelievably powerful story about Rav Shlomo Zomar Arbach that fit in perfectly indeed with the subject of our show 
today. Before we go and uh, introduce our guest, we're just going to go through the riddle of the week. So the riddle for the week, I'm going to put everyone to work on this. I, I did a little bit poking around, but wasn't so successful. So I'm hoping somebody can come up with the following answer. Where do we have a source in the Kabbalah, in the Zohar, or the Arizal for the concept, for the principle that we mentioned before, that the wife is a mirror of the husband and anything wrong with her is because there's a deficiency in him. So what is the specific source for that concept? It may be uh, people will find an application or an extrapolation from a source, but is there a direct source that we learn? And I'll quote it again. The wife is a mirror of the husband, and any deficiency he sees in her is actually his own deficiency. We are looking for a source for that. I will indeed, I'll give a second riddle. The second riddle of the week is as follows. Also this week's Parsha, the Medrash tells us that initially the serpent had the Koach Hadibor, was able to speak, and it was only after the Chait of the Eitz that was taken away from the serpent. So the serpent could no longer speak. Where do we have a remez in our Parsha to that effect, or actually it doesn't have to be in this week's Parsha, it could be anywhere. Where do we have a remez to that effect? It's based on this week's Parsha, but where else would we have a remez that indeed, that there was a Koach for the serpent initially, and it was taken away. I'm just going to mention another thing. This isn't a, uh, it's not a riddle of the week, but uh, I think we can call it maybe uh, an interesting concept or joke of the week, and we'll see if this gets through the editors. If it does, you'll hear it. If it doesn't get through, then you won't hear it. So I have a Sefer Chiyucha Shel Torah, and in there it uh, brings a, a statement, Vayikach Achas Mitzalosav, that when a Kodesh Baruch Hu was creating Chava from Adam, he took, as the English explains it, his side, the side of Adam, or as more classically explained, that a Kodesh Baruch Hu took one of the ribs and from that rib created Chava. And on that Pasuk, the Sefer Chiyucha Shatora brings as follows, there's one Pikeach, one sharp individual that said as follows, When Adam Arishan will leave home and come home, come back later than expected. So Chava was there waiting and he hadn't arrived yet and she had expected that he'd come home already. What would she do? What would she do when he got home? So he answers as follows, Haisa Soferes et Salosav. She would count his ribs, Shema Shuv Nitla Achasmem, to ensure that one of the ribs, an additional rib, had not been taken. She wanted to check that another woman had not been created from an additional rib. So uh, that is an interesting insight. Obviously, call ahead. Don't cause tourists. Don't have the wife be concerned. Don't have the husband be concerned. Open communication is a critical thing. Obviously, the takeaway from this is that we should avoid any concerns. We should avoid any uh, disagreements. And uh, that's what our show is going to be about, looking at theories of Shalom Bayes. And some theories, indeed, may be positive, and uh, we can incorporate it into our lives. And others, in fact, as we will discuss, maybe aren't such good ideas. Maybe they can have a negative impact on our Shalom Bayes. Indeed, that's what we will will be delving into on this show. And now, let's go to our guests. To leave a message, call 732-806-8700 and press number 2, or email at info at headlinesbook.com.
Joining us now is Rabbi Yitzchak Berkowitz. Rabbi Berkowitz is the famed Rosh Yeshiva of Eishat Torah. He is the founder and dean of the Jerusalem Kolel, and he is also a renowned expert in the halachas of Ben Adam Lechaveiro, which is our topic today, specifically about Shalom Bayis. Rabbi Berkowitz, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. So, Rabbi Berkowitz, a husband comes to you or a wife comes to you, or both come together to you and they say, we're having a shalom bias issue. Is there a governing concept, a governing principle which guides you in the advice you give to them, or is it uh, not that simple? Uh, there, I, I don't think that there's some generic formula. Obviously, it depends, depends on the personalities. It depends on the nature of their issue. It, it's a, I, I, I cannot see any generic way of dealing with such things. Um, you definitely have to try to get a feel for and, and, and obviously, whenever someone's dealing with shalom bias, the very first thing you have to do is get a feel for what's really going on. Because the question presented is usually the tip of the iceberg. There's usually, this is not usually, it, it should be indicative of something going on. And they're calling out for help. And the question is really to try to fish for what really is the underlying issue. See if this is something you can deal with yourself or something that has to be referred. Right. So, so. Let me ask you a, a, a question before I ask the next question. Is, is there a lush and horror when talking about a, uh, a book, a Shalom Bayes book, if it's talking about the concepts, even with, if we disagree with the concept in, in the book? Be very careful. Whenever there's an issue of disagreement, technically speaking, that's not lush and horror. To say I disagree with somebody is not lush and horror. To say that something is not my taste is not really lush and horror. The problem is that often it's understood by people as a condemnation, as an objective condemnation, rather than the expression of one's personal opinion and one's personal tastes. I think we have to make it very, very clear if we are gonna have such a discussion, I think we have to make it very, very clear, different strokes for different folks. Uh, there are within Klal Yisrael, among Dali Yisrael, there are different approaches to things. To go and say that somebody is right and somebody is wrong, who's got the authority to make such a statement? You know, right. I, I know there have, been, there have been big people that have come out and said this book is puzzle trade and this one is puzzle trade. But for every one of those, there are another 10 that say it's a great book. So, I mean, everyone's got to understand that if there's ever a discussion with a particular individual of how he feels about a certain book, he's expressing his opinions. It is not a matter of good and evil. It's not a matter of anything that would constitute Lashnara. It's a matter of what am I into? Right. So I, I'm not going to tell you the name of the book. Maybe I'll mention it a little bit later. So it's definitely not something that's personal. You're not disagreeing with the book. I'll talk about the concept in the book. Um, maybe I'll even quote a little bit from the book and, and, and get your read on it. So uh, there's a, a quote that I'm reading. It's two principles, which are the foundations of marital peace. And the first one is that the wife is a mirror of the husband. Any deficiency he sees in her is actually his own deficiency. So if you see it in the wife, it's your problem, not hers. That's number one. And the second major principle of marital peace is never make any remarks, comments, or criticism about anything she does, even if she's done a gross misdeed. Would love to get your read on both of those together, those separately. Um, does that sit well with you? Oh, number one is actually a, a, is, it's an old Hasidic way of dealing with things. And that is, this goes for all of Claudia's soul, and especially if one's spouse. That uh, if, you know, if Hashem is subjecting you, having you meet a human being with, with a certain chasarin, Hashem is letting you know you've got this problem. Um, 
it's a Hasidic way of looking at it. It's a, it's certainly a beautiful way of coping of coping with with the frustration of having to put up with a difficult human being, whether so, I mean, certainly if it's one's wife, hopefully not, but even an, a, another person. Rather than dealing with the frustration, you end up doing your own introspection, and you're bound to find something that will answer the question of what, why was this shown to me? Um, is this the way everybody deals with it? No, it's not. Um, uh, it does work for some people. It definitely does work for some people. And uh, again, as a, as a traditional Hasidic approach, it is beautiful. And and and, and the second uh, comment: never make any comments, uh, remarks, oh, criticisms. Yeah. So uh, so you know, let, let us discuss this a little bit. Um, you know, sweeping statements scare everybody. And anytime you say something that just that look, that, that paints the world black and white, obviously you know that that's a bit of an exaggeration. At the same time, there's no other way of, of, of getting a point home. You have to understand something. You know, giving people tochacha is, is always difficult. Um, people are sensitive. When you're dealing with your wife, you're dealing with a whole other element to begin with. Um, women's feelings are their reality, you know, which, is, which is clearly the case. Uh, a woman lives her, 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 she experiences things on the basis of her feelings. And her feelings are what life is all about. A second thing is that in marriage, I would hope that what she is looking for is acceptance, approval, uh, support um, of her husband. And if she doesn't get that, um, she could be a broken person or she will look for it elsewhere. Um, both of those are awful. Um, it is very difficult to communicate to one's wife um, that she has done something wrong without it being translated in her heart as rejection. Any way you look at it, it feels like rejection. To go and communicate rejection to your wife with all of the rational explanations that will follow are not going to do the trick. Deep down, she feels rejected. And it's very difficult to undo that. Is that what you want to subject your wife to? Is that what you want to do to your wife and to your marriage? Does that mean you can never say you can never say anything, anything critical? Please, life is not so simple. Life is complicated. What it means is that you've got to weigh things out many, many times over. You've got to really choose your words. Explaining it later is not enough. You know, body language, facial expression also can make a very big difference. Um, if you say something with a bit of humor, with a big smile, showing how much you're going out of your way. To, to let her know that this is not a condemnation or rejection of her. She may possibly pick up on that, possibly. Um, but if, if, you're, if, you're, if, if you're giving criticism, you're being critical in any way whatsoever, and then explain, let's not take it out of context, you're fine, you're okay, too late. Too late. Uh, so I would, take, I would take this statement and say, take this very seriously. You really have to think things through very, very well. You just, you don't just spontaneously say something critical to your wife. I mean, yeah, you need nine compliments for any, every uh, one uh, harara, you know, it can't, it, it, it can't be. It, and even that may or may not work depending on how you're communicating, you know, and what, and what it sounds like. Certainly if it's something very personal, um, do you want to talk to her about the way she dresses, for example, whether it's a halakhi issue, whether it's a matter of taste, do you, I mean, as men, I don't think we can appreciate just how devastating that can be. If we so, so careful, and you don't want to do this. I mean, is it worth ruining it? Elio Kito in his issue Beso, I find that this is the most profound statement in the entire Sefer. He says, before you lose your temper, ask yourself, is the issue at hand worth risking my shalom bias over? 
you know, we understand. Good shalom bias, you're flying. There's nothing like it. There's nothing. You can fight the world if your wife's on your side. Bad shalom bias, there is no Gehenna on earth like that shalom. So you're making a choice here. I'm about to get angry. I'm about to or, or express disapproval over something. Is this so important that it's, it's worth risking your shalom bias over? You know, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you rather unconditionally accept your wife to have great shalom bias? <laughs> it's not worth it. So again, right. I'm also being a little bit, I'm also being a, a little bit extreme here. When you want to get a message across, you do have to, you do have to be a bit extreme. And this way maybe people, you know, people will, will, will take it, you know, in its right dosage. Now, Rabbi Brokers, let's switch it. We've been talking about men to women. How about women to men? Because uh, this show is listened to by women as well. We happen to be men, the two of us, but uh, let, let's turn the tables around. Ideally, a man should be much more open to taking tochacha. The reason being that men, by nature, they're, they're, uh, the, the default position is that we're talking theory and taking things personally is, is actually something that men are often slow to do. I mean, I, I say this all the time when we talk about uh, why is it that women can't learn Gemara? Why is it that women are not supposed to learn Gemara? They are not missing anything. In terms of intellect, uh, you know, come on. I know, many, I know many highly intelligent women. I know many not so intelligent men. <laughs> it has a, this, this differential between men and women on the intelligence level. What are we talking about? There's no such thing. No such thing. It just, not, it just not exists. Uh, perhaps in society, it may have been that way at different points in time. Perhaps uh, today, that is certainly not the case. Why shouldn't women be learning Gemara? And the reason is because Gemara was written by men for men. Things are written very much on a theoretical level for us to get the concept. Men do not imagine the case. Don't, they don't try to relive the case. Uh, on the contrary, the big problem for a man is that he can learn a whole sugya. When it comes to Lamaisa, he forgets. He, he just forgets <laughs> that this has anything to do with life. You can be learning the sugya. Remember, Ravaldo Zechron of Racha used to say, men could be learning a, a sugya of tzedakah, but if a poor man comes by and asks for a donation, not now, we're learning. You know, the, the, the idea of, of, of a man actually taking limud, and this goes for not just limud, but taking life personally and seriously is something that a man has to work on. Our natural state is that we're very theoretical. <laughs> we're very, very theoretical, very conceptual. And we don't take things personally. Now, uh, that being the case, men should really be open to tochach. Men should really, really be open to tochach. Um, and, and ideally, I mean, ideally, you know, a tochach leitz ben yisna'eka, but chacham, on the contrary, he's, he, he will love you for it. You're, you're trying to enhance his life. Therefore, in theory, um, a woman should be able to give her husband tochach. The question is, A, where are men holding today? Uh, the, the, uh, the male ego often is such that there's this feeling of how dare you say something like that to me, which is not, uh, I, mean, I, would not uh, uh, I, I would not defend it, but that may be a reality. Why should a woman want to do that to her husband? Um, of course, she has to express herself in a way that he doesn't take it personally. Women, especially when something bothers them, can be very, very emotional. And a husband can find it extremely intimidating. And his knee-jerk reaction um, may make it unwise for his wife to have done that in the first place. Right. So, so on this point, would we distinguish between tochacha that relates to something halachic and something that is non-halachic? And I would ask that question both ways, the woman to the husband and coming back to the husband to the, to the wife, when we said think once, twice, three times, ten times before doing it, and then 
think another 10 times. What if it's a halachic issue that we're dealing with? And does it, is the severity of the halachic issue, does that depend as well? Um, well, um, the, the, there's a, the Bir Halacha brings a Sefer Chassidim. He says that you only give tochacha to someone that's libo gospel, someone that will not hate you for it, because otherwise you're just causing hatred. And who knows if you'll be successful in accomplishing anything altogether. In marriage, because things are so complex, it may be that there is no mitzvah. If you want to get someone to change, you may have to find some other way of going about it. But tochacha, is, as a rule of thumb, I would say that tochacha has no real place in marriage. The mitzvah of tochacha, because it just gets complicated. And if you hurt the other person's feelings, you're going to have to apologize, in which case your your tochacha will accomplish nothing other than mess up your shalom bodies. And if it would work, work, then then we have to to consider, is it worth it or not? But uh, um, um, generally speaking, tochach in marriage is ineffective, and it uh, it actually causes causes a lot of negativity, and it should be avoided. It really should be avoided. Now, tochacha, does that mean tochacha as in telling somebody off or even uh, persuading or uh, a nice ha'ara? Tochacha means this is the halacha and what you're doing is wrong. If I am trying to get you to do something that I like, that's not tochacha. That you can call persuasion. Whereas if I'm telling you as, as an orthodox woman, this in halacha is wrong. Or an orthodox wife telling her husband, what you're doing is wrong. He sleeps in him. And she tells him, what do you need? You're missing his non-creation. What she's doing is condemning him. She's not saying, do me a favor. You know, I feel so much better if you get up in the morning. What she's telling him is, you're violating the Shulchan Aruch. You're being a vatla mitzvah, you're a rasha. <laughs> she doesn't have to use that language, but basically that's what she's communicating. Now that, that's where I would say you don't give tochacha in marriage. It's probably not going to work and will only cause a breakdown of the marriage, or just a bad shell of bias. You're allowed to ask your spouse to do something for you because you like it. You know, th- there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong. A wife can ask her husband, you know, it would be nice if you'd buy me flowers. There's nothing wrong with that. She's, she's, not, she's not telling him that by objective standards, he's been negligent. You know, he may go a little further and say, oh, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> okay, but it's not, it's not the same. It's not the same as saying, it, it, you know, you, you're dead wrong. And so if we switch the Kriya Shema example to, it really excites me when you say Kriya Shema Bismano. Does that go to persuasion as opposed to Tochacha? Uh, something tells me that, that that is nothing other than a diplomatic way of saying you're a rush. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Okay, so, so we, we've been talking about issues that really relate to the man. It's his Kriya Shema issue. It's not her Kriya Shema issue vis-a-vis him. But at certain points, we have issues that impact the other. And, and, and for example, did she take off challah? Is she adhering to the requirements of nida? So the husband knows that, and it could go either way, husband, wife, wife, husband. But it happens to be, I think, that the husband relies more on the wife in halachic areas than the wife relies on the husband, probably, like the kashras of the house and and all those things. He's relying on her. So if, if he knows he, she's a lax in a specific area, for example, she's on her phone on Shabbos, right? So um, typically, we don't extrapolate from one area uh, of uh, negligence to other areas. Area. She still has a chazak in other areas. Um, I, I, 
I would assume that's correct. Uh, the halachas are very clear, and that is, unless someone is a Mechal Shabbos before Hesia, or you know for a fact that they violate the particular issue that you are dealing with, you know, if, if, you, if you are aware, if you are aware that she buys non-kosher food, <laughs> and now she's serving you, you don't know what it is, then, you know, you can't trust the conscious. These are such delicate situations where someone is either slipping or never fully bought in to, to you know, to observance. That's a very delicate issue. I am not going to give a generic talk for anything, but you have to know there are times that you will be told you go along with it anyway. This is a real shame. Mm-hmm. It's not, I think it's important to communicate. The, you cannot just make the assumption that since she's doing something wrong, I can't trust her. Um, and, then, and then look for all kinds of ways of getting around it that she will probably pick up on. Um, go ask a shy. Go ask a shy. There have been many situations where one or the other, unfortunately, uh, um, is, is really slipping in a big way. And post have said, you, you, you play along. Meaning, you keep your standards, but you do not uh, you do not stop eating at home or any, any, anything like that. This is very delicate, both in terms of halacha as well as the proper thing to do for shalom bias. This is not simple. And, and this is specifically not not when she's or he is, is derelict in one area. It's where you have a feeling of general dereliction in yeah. halachic areas. The only time it would be an, a, a, an issue for everything is if someone you know one of them becomes a machal shabbos befrasi. You know, which is also very, very serious, and, and that's not something you know. That's not something for the radio. That that is such a uh, it's such a delicate kind of shiloh where someone really has to get advice and talk every step of the way. Right, right. Now, okay, there so- are times that it's worth almost anything to preserve a marriage. There are times that it doesn't look like this marriage is going anywhere. And of course, if there are children, it's another major consideration. Um, uh, a man or woman that's becoming lax, should the marriage break up, the odds are they're going to go, you know, they're going to go way off. And then you'll have children who are going to have one parent who's from and one parent who's not from and Oh, what a mess. Psychologically, in terms of observance, you know, you've got to be a roa sanolad, and that's where a post will have to tell you what it is that you should be able to compromise on. Right, right. Uh, let's change gears because uh, I think we'll okay. leave that as, as an open issue for uh for thought and shaila's uh shalom bias and monetary issues H- how often does that come up and, and what specifically are the the issues are they, he's spending too much she's spending too much why did you buy that overly expensive shaitel why are you going out and gambling in las vegas or atlantic city you know what what, what are the issues that come out i guess that's that's bigger than than uh, money if he's doing that but uh um what, what do you see coming on on your desk about this in terms of how to spend money in terms of how to spend money First of all, we have a cloud. Uh, Halach is that uh, uh, she is only emo of any Simo. A woman that grew up in an affluent home, for example, or a man that grew up in an affluent home. I don't know why we have to, why we have to uh, uh, you know, choose one or the, or, over the other. Um, and married someone who grew up in a less affluent home. Obviously, there are going to be two totally different sets of standards of what is necessity and what is luxury. And when they're living on a, on a, on a limited budget, um, the affluence was left back home. Um, if they're living on, on, an, on, a, on a limited budget, um, it's been very difficult. So the halachi is that a woman that comes from an affluent background and has certain needs, the husband has to provide that. That has to be understood unless it is clearly stipulated before the wedding that we're going to be living a lower standard. 
um, the obligation is to continue to support her at the level that she, that she was used to. That's straight out Shulchan um, Obviously, if there's agreement beforehand, they're becoming a colo couple that's only being, being supported to a certain degree or not supported at all, and they're, they're living off whatever salary they come up with. Um, you know, it, it, in such a case, it was understood that you don't spend too much, but nevertheless, it has to appreci- be appreciated that there are certain things that come only naturally to someone that's used to that. Um, we find in Hilchus Staka, we, we find the halacha of Asher Yechsar Lo. There's a repetition of the passing. It says, De Masoro, Asher Yechsar Lo. And the Gemara learns that needs are subjective. We have the classic case of Hillel. Hillel, who is, he is the symbol of poverty in Klal Yisrael. He was a woodchopper by profession before he became the Nazi. You know, perhaps he is the symbol of, of, uh, uh, of how the poorest man can become the Nazi. But uh, you know, at, at the same time, we see him as the person who symbolizes poverty. So there was an Ali Ben-Tovin, there was someone who was once wealthy, lost his riches, and had to be supported. So uh, Hillel collected money and got him a horse, because this man is used to riding a horse. Um, the person was also used to having an Eretz, an Ebed Lorutz Lefanav, there was a servant running out in front of him to announce his coming. For a while, Hill managed to raise money for that, but afterwards it, it didn't work. So Hill himself ran out in front of him to announce his coming. Evan Lawrence Levana. What does the Gemara teach us? That we have to we have to understand one another. The poorest Jew has to be able to understand that to someone who was used to a more affluent lifestyle, these things are necessities. Even if he's going to have to come to terms with his new situation that has to be done gradually, you can't expect him to fall overnight. You know, we have to understand where one another is coming from. It's difficult to say what is objectively a necessity and what is objectively a luxury. It really depends on who. Um, uh, it's very difficult, you know, to, to quote, you can quote sources right and left, but it's so not fair. You have to know where people are coming from. Now, if you've got someone who just has no control, the issue there is not that they have a different sense of what's necessity. It's just they're impulse shoppers. You know, so that's something that has to be dealt with. It's very difficult for the, for the marriage to have to carry that burden. In such a case, one really has to convince their spouse, be it a husband, be it a wife, you can find them both being impulse shoppers. <laughs> I don't know if there are any statistics over who does it more, but if one's an impulse shopper and they're living on a budget that cannot sustain such a thing, then someone's got to go for help because this, this is something that their professionals trained to deal with. Right. Now, a, a more general question, and, and, and on this we can close, is solemn bias issues come up. There's a deadlock. Should we spend on this? Should we not spend on this? Or should he spend more time with the kids or not? Whatever it is, is the Rav the right destination? Is somebody else the right destination to deal with these issues? So I guess um, when a couple is dating, it's very important that they understand who the posik or the family is going to be. If, you know, if, 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 if the boys got already, it's very important that the girl gets to know about him and possibly even get to know him because she's not just marrying this boy. She's marrying into the whole system, which includes his baby. She's If she doesn't feel comfortable with that, then this is not a good match. Now, this is beforehand. You're talking about Sholemaya's situations, which come later. If it was already understood that they have a rub, whether it was discussed before or they happen to have a rub, you know, that's a very convenient way of dealing with disagreement. I would hope that there's a more dynamic way of dealing with things, and that is that husband and wife learn to come to consensus. Um, that's certainly the better way of doing things. Until they've reached that point, it's very convenient to have a rub that you can ask Shilas to. Um, 
There are times, I know personally, there are times that a couple will come to me and I feel that one is trying to use, the, to use me to get his or her way. Probably fairly often. Very often. And I will tell them straight out, this is what I suspect is going on and you're going to have to work this out together. That's not what marriage is about. Very good. Rabbi Berkowitz, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure having you on the show. You're very welcome. <laughs> Joining us now is Rabbi Lazer Brody. Rabbi Brody is a Rav. He has smicha from a number of uh, acclaimed Rabbanim. He's an author, a spiritual guide, a certified health coach, a fitness trainer, a nutritionist, and so much more. His real focus is on coaching people on their spiritual and physical health. He has a really amazing uh, website called laserbeam.com. Should anyone desire additional information, it is an active website, often updated on health, fitness, amuna, and spirit, relationships. Uh, We're going to talk about one of those segments, relationships in particular. But let me keep on going, Rabbi Brody, before we get to you about your bio a little bit more, a little bit longer than I usually do. But uh, there's a lot to talk about about you. So you were the Rosh Kolel of Rabbi Sholem Arush's Yeshiva, Chut Shel Chesed, Breslov. And you also translated the Garden of Amuna, the Garden of Peace um, on Shalom Bayis. Very relevant for our show. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. It's a pl- privilege to be here. So Rabbi Brody, I'm going to get right to the point. A husband comes to you and says he's having horrible Shalom Bayis problems. What do you tell him? Okay, first thing, uh, husbands usually say that, but they don't say horrible shalom bayis problems. They say, I'm not having my needs met, which is more or less the same thing. I'm not having my needs met in this marriage. I said, wait a second. If you were to go to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai would open up what he wrote in the Zohar, he said that the man is the sun and the woman is the moon. We see everything about the, the Jewish woman, it's all according to the lunar cycle, everything about the lunar cycle. Her cycle is lunar, it's rhythmic. Okay, so we see. And the man is the sun. Where do we learn that? It's from the Torah of Mashpia and Mushpa. Okay, the woman, according to the Zohar, and they are re- further elaborates in Halach, in, in Kabbalah, even more. If we look at Shari Gugulim chapter 20, and uh, Shari Gugulim, he talks about that. Uh, the woman really doesn't have a soul correction. She comes for the benefit of the man. So the man's got something to correct. Okay. And look how everything works. He's mashpia and she's mushpa. He influences and she receives. And this is the way everything we work with. You know, we'll talk in, uh, in, in upraised language. But how is a baby born? A woman has two X chromosomes. A man has an X and a Y chromosome. If he throws her an X chromosome, then the X meets the X. And they have a girl. If he throws her a Y chromosome, then the Y meets the X and they have a boy. So it's determined from the hashpa'a, from the influence of the man and the woman. Now, the woman, they said she's the moon. She has no light of her own, says Rabbi Shon Bayachai. She gets the light of the sun, which means something like this wonderful, Ari, that for, in order for her to be illuminated, she needs illumination from somewhere, from the other. The one the moon shine when the sun shines on it. Now, someone says, what? I mean, I just got to be the giver and not expect anything. Yeah, don't expect anything. But this, we see this, what we have in the spiritual world, we have in the physical world. And you can't really appreciate to understand both. I'll give you an example. In northern Ontario, you can open up a greenhouse and you could grow 
tomatoes and cucumbers in a greenhouse in blizzards in northern Ontario if you've got enough heat and you've got enough artificial light. But why can't you grow watermelon and cantaloupe in a greenhouse in northern Ontario? Because watermelon and green and, and, and cantaloupes grow according to the light of the moon makes them grow, the cucurbit family. So we see that the moon knows how to make do wonderful things with the light it receives from the sun. And the same thing in the marriage. When the woman receives the light from which there was the light, positive reinforcement and compliments and good words and love and consideration. It's not my words. The words say, hey guys, open up your ksuva. Look what you signed. You signed it. Okay. She doesn't have to sign anything except she stays there. And this, this all, it's all the husband's commitments to the wife. We said, what is it? This isn't very democratic. This isn't very, that's, that's his Yiddishkeit. Okay. Yiddishkeit. You read the, what, what, what the ketubah is read under the chuppah and say, listen, you listen to what you're committing and then you sign your name. It's the husband committing. Ve'eflach, I'm going to work for you. Ve'efalnes, and I'm going to make a living for you. Ve'oikir, and I'm going to cherish you. Wait a second, what's this thing? Why I'm going to work for you. Ve'eflach, ve'efalnes, and I'm going to make a living for you. If I'm working for you, I'm making a living for you. No, working for you means I'm going to work to make you happy. That's the eflach. Okay, so that's, that's a nice explanation. That's a yeah. nice explanation. So, so, so this this husband here, he's having issues. It could be that she's even a, it could be extreme issues. She's abusive. She's um, she was abused when she was a child, and uh, that comes out here that she's violent to me. Would your answer still be the same as husband? It's your issue, and you have your obligations to her. And whatever happens, to let's you, let's to qualify her. things. Great question, Ari. Great question. It's a question I receive a lot of times. Okay, fantastic question. If we are talking in the get there in the area of neuroses, okay. If it's only a neuroses, it's only she, she's neurotic. Okay, she's she's nervous. You know, there's the. The, the combat syndrome, kids, you go and say hello to them, they go like that because they used to see every time the parent raises their hand, they get slapped, you know, and the fans like that. Sometimes you're gonna, you, you get reach out, you want to give him a tickle, you want to give him a candy, and it goes like that because he's used to every time an adult reaches his hand, he's going to get slapped, all right? If she grew up in an abusive family, she's got a, a defense mechanism to protect herself. She's got to survive. So what the husband's got to do, what I tell the husband, I said, listen, what you got to do she is a washing machine with 26 cycles. You only know how to operate two cycles. If you speak to her nicely, you speak to her nicely and you take the verbal abuse. To take your verbal abuse, the, I wrote my, my most popular Hebrew book is Nafshi Sidoim. It's all about verbal abuse. Okay, get Nafshi Sidoim. Every husband should read it. Yeah, this is in Lashna Kodesh. But if you look at Nafshi Sidoim, it's a kapara. Look what the Shem is doing for you. Would you rather have the verbal abuse on Yom Kippur in front of 500 guys in shul? Would you rather mess up and you know, say something wrong or wrong halacha when, you're, when you're, you're lecturing? No, Shem gives you the luxury of a little bit of verbal abuse in the kitchen, in the living room. Nobody hears. It's a machai. It's a luxury. It doesn't affect your health. doesn't affect your partnership. So if you take it with Ava, with a muna, this is where a muna comes in a marriage. If you believe that everything happens. Hu levado, first principle of Muna. Hoya, hoive, v'yiye. Everything comes from Hashem. He alone did, does, and will do. Then the anguish you're getting from your wife is from Hashem. All right, so now look at Hashem. Do what David Melech says. Shivit Hashem tamid. Look at Hashem. Yudke vavke. It's from you, Hashem. This is certainly better than COVID. Just getting yelled at. Okay, sweetheart, you know something? I'm going to try to be better. Smile at her. What? She's expecting a fight. 
She's expecting answer back. She's expecting raising. She's expecting something. No, you're answering back with sweetness, with kindness. Okay, first, it's going to work. It's not going to work. Second, it's not going to work. Third time, it's not going to work. Fourth time, hey, wait a second. Is this guy for real? Fifth time, she's going to deliberately try to disparage him to see if he's a faker or not. See if it's real. When he controls himself the fifth time, the sixth time, that's a double chazaka. She's already in the road to getting cured. And the guy's turned his family around, but he's got to be consistent. You cannot do this, Ari, without Amuna. He cannot do this with a stark kavana of knowing that everything comes from Hashem. Because now the friendship, think of your wife as she's the speaker. She's the speaker, you know, the wall, the, the microphone of the speaker. If you are in a lecture and the lecturer doesn't know what he's talking about, you throw a tomato at the microphone, you throw a tomato at the speaker on the wall, <laughs> you throw a tomato at the lecturer. But these people, it's not her. Okay, we all are married to kosher Jewish women. Baruch Hashem. Okay, she keeps Shabbos, Kanehora, got, got, got family kashras, we got everything. We're married to kosher Jewish women. Okay, so the Shechina talks from the throat of a kosher Jewish woman. Because we guys, we've got reinforced concrete skulls. She's much more sensitive to Hashem's messages than we are. Look at it. She'll pick up a Tehillim and she'll have tears in 15 seconds reading Tehillim. What do we have to do, Ari, to have tears in our eyes from Kavona? What kind of covenant do we have to read? Ne'ila. You know, Ne'ila, we're, we're, we're trying on it. She's got it 15 seconds. She's, so, she's naturally close to Hashem. So Hashem uses her as the mouthpiece to speak to us. So what happens? Okay, guy doesn't like my answer. He doesn't like the wife. And he goes and he convinces his rough to give him a, a head to get a divorce, gets divorced. And you know what happens? Hear this also. The second tikkun is worse than the first. And there's what's called the 30-second harata. The 30-second harata is the minute he drops the get in the hand, okay, 30 seconds later, he's going he's gonna to have harata. Or 30 seconds after he marries number two, he's going to have harata. It's one time or the other. That's the 30-second harata. Right, right. So let, let's say that it's uh, the woman who comes to you now and says, I have shalom bias issues. Do we tell her you're not the problem? Bring in the husband and let me deal with him? No way. No way. Okay, everyone has to do their choice. Everyone has to do the choice. So wait a second. The woman, okay, okay tell me something. Uh, do you yell at your husband? Yeah, he gets on my nerves. That's the way I say, let me tell you who he is. He is a 21st century gladiator, especially you guys that say you live in the in New York, New Jersey area or, or something like that. You guys are you guys are, are economic gladiators. It used to be that you'd be in the ring with Romans, not to be in the ring, making a living in 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 modern America with your competitors that did this, the competition. And now with COVID and stores closing down and all kinds of things. So he's got so many people on his back. His customers are on his cage. The IRS on his cage. His boss is on his cage. Let him walk in the house, take off his kapaluch, give him a cup of coffee, let him come down, then tell him anything he needs to do. Tell him anything you want to tell him. But and I, I give her her marching orders and I show her her job according to the Rambam. But each person, like an, an army commander, the moment a soldier worries about what the other guy's job is, you lost the war. Got to worry about his job and get his task done. You know, can't worry about if guys, an infantry soldier is the pilot doing his job or in the Navy, they're doing a change. No, that's not your thing. You got to worry about guarding your, your, your part of the fort. That's it. So let me, let me make sure I understand. When it, when it comes to the man, you tell him, just uh, deal with it. Uh, don't. Okay. When I get up to the man, I explain to him the tafkid of a mashpia. 
Right. And when it comes to the woman, you say, I say um, you be a little bit patient, but you got to get him into shape and make your comments. I'll give him a little bit of time when he gets home. But uh, ultimately, it's up to her. Right. To, uh, many women, many women, they've got a howitzer, a tank, a Merkava tank with a 105 millimeter towers waved at the front door. And the moment the guy opens the door, boom, that's it. it doesn't work because, you know, they're, 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 they're frustrated. Okay, listen, I'm on your side. Okay, look at everything I wrote. I'm on your side, but you got to do your part. You got to do your part. You got to be Miss America. First of all, you got to remember one thing. I'm on his cage all day long to, to guard his eyes and do this. And to guard his eyes, I can't guard his eyes. He comes home and he's married to the to the shrew from the ward from the north, the wicked witch from the north. You can't be the wicked witch. You got to be the girl that's still under the hoopah with him. All right. And stop and think, think back and stop thinking that's what's happening to you. That's also from Hashem. That's also with the Muna. And one thing, Ari, the greatest, the greatest common denominator for a great marriage is Emuna. It's not, it's not enough to be a Talmud Chacham. It's not enough to be the best girl in base Yaakov that knew Novi by heart and knew Chavis Levovus better than no guys do. It's Emuna, Emuna, Emuna. When husband and wife are together in Emuna, everything is Shem, everything the best, then their mind. Their default mindset is what's happening is for the best. Now I'm going to work with it. All right. Right. So, so let's assume that there are things that also bother the husband about the wife. Because when it comes to the wife, she's going to be able to tell him, you need to fix this area, need to improve. She'll do, do it with adinut, as we say in Hebrew, right? So right, right, right. How about when the husband has concerns, issues, uh, he comes in and the wife is on her uh, smartphone and the kids are going hanging from the ceiling and he wants to say, it doesn't seem like uh, you're doing the right thing right now. Does he just uh, silence himself or is he allowed to give auras also? Okay, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, Ha'aras, when it comes to halacha, it's not only allowed, it's a chiyuf. Because the Gemara tells us that the husband... It's like the rov of the house. What he doesn't know, he has to ask his rov. All right. But if something is going against Torah, nitfas bavoinam, and he doesn't say anything, he's caught up in he's caught up in the oven. It's his chiyuf. So the whole Torah of never comment, never say anything. I don't buy that and because it goes against the Gemara. It's fair. She goes against the Gemara. But here's the thing. All right. It's obvious that it's a pagam and chinuch when the kids are hanging from the rafters like Tarzan's monkey and. She's on Facebook. Come on. Okay. You know, that's obvious. She's not taking care of the kids. She's not doing a thing. I would do something roundabout. It is something very, very touchy because for women, social media is so addictive, so addictive. And for men, but especially women, I would tell her like this, uh, sweetheart, why don't we have some quality time at night? What's quality time? Okay. After dinner, we're going to put the kids to bed half hour. I'm going to turn my cell phone off and you're going to turn your cell phone off. Uh, she's going to not buy that in the beginning, but in the end, she's going to think of what she's losing. Oh, listen, uh, I'm going to make her favorite coffee or we're going to open up a, a go in the back, back uh, patio and open up a bottle of red wine. I mean, really romantic, but, but no cell phones, just me and you, just me and you, no distraction. Okay. And then when he does that, she sees the quality of sicha. And see, we can't get to know each other with chatzitza. Everyone knows that you're not supposed to be like Shana Rishon, you got to leave a young couple alone. You're not supposed to chatzitza. But even Shana Rishon, the whole life should be Shana Rishon. It's the same with the kids. You can't raise kids and have a chatzitza, 
of a cell phone, just like she want to have chatzitza in the mikvah. That's a no-brainer. But the chatzitza with, with the edu- child education, and what do the kids do? Look what it is. Forget about the kids ever listening to parents because you're making a statement. Cell phones are more important than kinderlach. Like the kids comes home, he was got bullied in school. The girls come home, the queen of the class made fun of her. Mommy says, no, come back to me an hour. What? You mean putting your, your likes on Facebook is more important than Rifkel is Neshama? The queen of the class bullied her and this and that? This for her is urgent. This is mamash pikuach nefesh. It's mamash pikuach nefesh. Okay, but what are you going to do if he goes at her straight like uh, uh, Custer against the, uh, the Apaches? He's uh, going to blow it. He's got to be very idle and very roundabout and get her on the side. And it's a very big problem. It's a very big problem. And that's no wonder, no wonder, no wonder the Rebbeim, they don't like uh, smartphones and social media because it's very addictive. And it's probably number one, Mivatel Torah, that is. And, and her Torah, her Torah is Vishinatum, it's a, the, the Kindalach. Right, right. So th- there's a there's a Ramah in Shulchan Arach that says in Evan Ezer, Simon Samachtes, quoting Chazal, there's nothing like a, an Isha Kshera, a proper woman, a kosher woman, is one who does the desires of her husband. So that's right. That's a, that's right at Loshan Rambam. That's straight out that Loshan Rambam. I mean, it's Yalkut. So, so, so how would we throw that in? You know, I'm, I'm hearing, I, I don't know if I'm hearing this, but maybe I'm hearing this. There may be like, a, and this happens, a stira, a difference between the Kabbalah on the one hand and the Halacha on the other hand with the Kabbalah. No difference. No difference. Great question. Well, you're, you're a great question. But yeah, you'd be a great Chavusa. Okay, great question. I, I'd be a great interviewer on a podcast like Headlines. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that means maybe Bezrat Hashem, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do it again. Okay. Here's the thing. Why I, I, I can miyashev the stira. Okay, they, they, there's no contradiction here. There's no contradiction. Why? Because Isha inochinami bala. She's got to do her husband's will. But the husband can't be schnooky. The husband's got to. You got to have a climate where it's easy for her. Otherwise, the husband is machshil rabim. He's she's he's machshil his wife. Okay, he can't slap her. He can't speak to her like she's a shifcha kananis. And then expect her to say his own bala. That's it. Sorry, you know you can't uh, you can't put uh, vinegar in your chunt and expect it to taste uh, sweet. You can't you know you can't put salt in your coffee and expect it to taste sweet. This is what you get in. You get you get back. So make life easy for her and remember your task of being mashpia and shine on her the light. Okay, and your task of being mashpia, you shine on her and it'll be easier for her. Right. So so would you agree then with this this reconciliation that the Isha Ose Ratzon Bala. She has to do the Ratzon Bala, but the Kabbalah is going to tell us when he should exercise that right. And he has to do it sparingly. And when the Kabbalah will say, this is the proper time for you to say something, that's when she should uh, Ose Ratzon Bala. Would that be a proper reconciliation of the two? Um, in my humble opinion, excuse me, I think it's a little bit of a dohak. I think it's a, a <laughs> bit of a dohak. I'm trying to help you reconcile what I think is a stira here. So I, I think that it's, it's not a stira when a husband is a mashpia like he's supposed to be. Then he makes it easier for her. Then, then if he's a mashpia here, there, there, there are there are things like this. Okay, the guy's a good guy and he's a mashpia, and she doesn't do it. You know, he's a mashpia, and there are times like now there was this 
there's this crisis going on in Israel now where all the poi scheme, you know, there's always the shakel wars and this and that, but all the poi scheme came out against, uh, I don't know what they call it, the, the, the lace shakel. There's a, there's a new shakel, very long, and it's lace, lace shakel, and it looks like there's, it, it looks like a 17-year-old girl's hair, you know, it completely, uh, th that she's not, doesn't have a kisui roche. And a person has to be a professional shekelmacher to tell the difference. Okay. So the Poiskim in Eretz Yisrael said this particular shekel, and I'm even talking about uh, Litvish Poiskim and, and Polish Poiskim, that hold by shekel, okay. And they say this shekel is not kosher because this shekel, the whole, the whole thing of it is, so they say, so that's, uh, they call that, the Poiskim came out here and said that's Moretis. Right? If a woman would take off her, yeah, if they and they they say it's a, it's a nega and it's all it starts in shulaim the machane. This is something very recent in Eretz Yisrael, okay? But it's something in shulaim. I haven't heard. I heard Rev Sternbuch said it. Haven't yet heard Reb Chaim Kenyevsky say it, okay? But Rev Sternbuch say it and uh, the the Bnei Brak, Bnei Brak poskim, non Hasidic poskim Bnei Brak. Like uh, from Ruff Klein's base dean and uh, or Han Karel's base dean. Okay, but the point is, anything. Suppose in Eretz Royal, she does something like that. She changes her tzniyah dikkat shekel for something like that. The husband, according to halacha, if Rav Sternbuch is his rav, if he holds by the Eid Haredes, Rav Sternbuch is his rav, he has to say, okay, maybe my wife, maybe it didn't know, but delicately, maybe it didn't know, and I understand that. You want to be gorgeous, and you are gorgeous. You don't have to try. You already are. All right. But uh, the Poiskim say this is not to do. I, I don't think she could do it without his knowledge because the things are so expensive. I mean, Neretz Yisrael, and in, in, in Lakewood or in, in Borough Park, a $4,000 shaitl is uh, running the mill. In Eretz Yisrael, it's two months' salary. You know, yeah. so she can't. But, but she would have to come back and, uh, and have a, a shalom bayis and uh, money. Show and then Amir Sashim, we'll, we'll get you back on that one. Okay, with pleasure. With pleasure. There Reverend, Reverend Brody, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Real pleasure of getting to meet you. Okay, it's my pleasure, Ari and Chef. Continue wonderful success. I saw your podcast, it's superb and, and quality and really superb. And I should be Zoyche to Mazaki and Rabim, Chefet Sashem Biot Chayitzlach, and have a good Gibench, Kohof and Yor, and everything good. All your hearts wishes for the best. And I was happy to be here. Thank you so much. Okay, God bless. Call to. Joining us now is Rabbi David Rossman. Rabbi Rossman is a sought-after expert in Shalom Bayis. In fact, he's the author of the book, Your Wife, Yourself, A Husband's Guide to Shalom Bayis. He's also the director of Yeshiva Eisha Torah. Rabbi Rossman, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Rabbi, for uh, letting me participate. So Rabbi Rossman, I, I want to talk about a book that I read recently, but before that, just, just to introduce the topic, I, I was told recently by a Shalom Bias expert the following, everyone wants to change their spouse. Everyone wants to change. Everyone wants to make changes, I guess, be it the wife, the husband, everyone wants to make some sort of change in the spouse. So my question is, why, why is that? Uh, there are two reasons, really, uh, why someone would want to change their spouse. Um, the first is, as we know, no matter how long you date, no matter how long your courtship was, after you get married, you learn a lot of new things about your spouse. 
So you might not have realized how messy your spouse was uh, or certain midos come out when uh, you're very tired and you start to learn about your spouse in new ways or new circumstances like having children. You didn't have children before and now you have children and you don't like the way your spouse parents or disciplines, uh, new circumstances that you learn about. Um, and secondly, they're per you grow. Each person grows through their marriage. So you might hear a great cheer and you want to change the way you speak at home or you were inspired something. Even if your wife is the same, your husband is the same and you don't learn anything new about your spouse, but you want to grow and you want to change and you want your spouse to change with you. So I think those are the two general categories of why people uh, want their spouse to change. Uh, now, people come to you, I assume, and they say, this is on my mind about my spouse. How do I change this? Uh, yes, for sure. <laughs> okay, so 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 that, that's that's just laying the platter for what we're about to talk to. So I read recently a good part of a Shalom Bayes book. It's uh, called The Garden of Peace by Rabbi Shalom Arush. I assume you are quite familiar with the book. It's a well-known Shalom Bayes book. Yeah, familiar. And uh, in page 4041, he says that he, at a point when he was a younger man, he consulted with his Rebbe. What are the foundations of marital peace? And Rabbi Arush in the book says that his Rebbe taught him the following two principles. So I'd like to ask you about each of the principles, get your uh, thoughts, input, feedback on each of the principles. I'll go by one, one by one. So I'll ask you the first one and I'll just read it as follows. I'll read it verbatim from the book. It says, first, the wife is a mirror of the husband. She mirrors the husband, continuing any deficiency he sees in her is actually his own deficiency. So if he sees a problem in the wife, if she's an angry person, it's really because he is an angry person. So whatever he sees in his wife as lacking, as a problem, as a character flaw, it's really because of him. And I, I just want to build on this. I know it's going to be an extended question, but uh, further on in the book, a little bit further on in the book, Page 51, 52, he gives uh, some examples of this. Uh, if he's angry, she's angry. It's just reflecting in her. She's the mirror. And then he actually goes a little bit further, and he talks about this uh, ideal model husband named Marty. Marty comes home right after work, and he helps around the house, and he does the shopping for Shabbos, and he spends the money necessary, extra money, makes his wife very happy usually, uh, buys her favorite foods, etc. One time he walks in the door, and she attacks him. She goes to town on him, angry, insulting, complaining, you're a horrific person, et cetera, et cetera. And it goes on to say, so what did he do wrong? He was doing everything proper. And it happened that he, when he was in the store buying for Shabbos, he looked at a woman inappropriately. And a Kaddish Baruch Hu was sending this message via the wife because she's a mirror. Spot this message via the wife. So he would do some chespon and and understand why she was acting that way. So uh, I, I think that's that's the approach here. And I think the gloss on that, you know, the wife is a mirror that all problems in Shalom Bayis are due to deficiencies in Ruchnius and Midos of the husband. And I'd love to get your read on that. Okay. Um, so I have actually been approached by people in, in, the, in the past um, after reading, um, I guess, that section. Uh, I think from what I understand, a lot of the book is, uh, is, uh, is based, on, uh, based on that idea. Um, and and there, is an, there is an issue. There is an issue with that. And that is as follows. We, I'll give you a, a mushal, uh, like the Mesil Sasharim brings down in, in Parak Test. Uh, the Gemara says, 
that all misfortunes are in the hands of Hashem, except for issues that you end up with getting a cold or extreme heat. Meaning if you go outside without a coat on in the freezing cold water, you're going to get sick. And, and the reason is because you walked into the natural cold and Hashem made it that in nature, there are effects and um, you could get hurt from uh, certain natural cases. And the first thing, like Mr. Sharm speaks about, the first thing that a person has to look at is Teva. What is the normal reaction or cause and effect of any natural circumstance? That, that, that's the first thing we look at. And then as Mr. Sharm says afterwards, okay, then maybe you could get some spiritual onesh for, for going into the cold and not fulfilling the mitzvah of protecting yourself, et cetera. That's like a secondary thing. The first thing we always look at is what, is the natural course of events and what are the reasons for what we went ahead and um, and and did and therefore even if that statement is, is true or not from what I understand it quotes from that result I'm not familiar with it I didn't see it inside uh, but even if it would be true that wouldn't be the first place that we start to go ahead and look if my wife is upset at me if my wife is frustrated and she's um, letting me know it the the first question isn't did I put on my fill in well today or did I uh, um, you know, do I have a, a Midos thing that I have to work on unrelated to what my wife is even talking about? Um, the, the first thing is, at, why, why is she saying she's angry? <laughs> she, she, she's upset that I came home late. Well, the reason is I came home late. Or she's upset because um, uh, she had a very long day, a very hard day. Why did she have such a hard day? Because maybe I'm too cheap in, in hiring some uh, work help for her in, in the home so she could uh, take care of the kids in, in, a, in a much more efficient way. Or Maybe, okay, we have to go a little deeper sometimes. Maybe I am giving her what she needs and maybe I am doing exactly what she asks and they come on time, et cetera. Maybe that's all set, but maybe I don't show her enough appreciation throughout my day. Meaning you have to think a little bit deeper sometimes as to what happened in the relationship per se between me and my wife. Am I really giving 100%? Now, if you check off stage one, stage two, stage three, and all the way to stage 100, and all those things are dotted, yeah, okay, then maybe go ahead and look, and maybe there's some message coming at you from some secondary, alternative, disconnected uh, thing that I have to do a cheshben and nefesh on. That's true, but that's not, the, that's not the first case. And if you jump right away to those types of uh, spiritual messages, um, it basically absolves the husband of any responsibility. <laughs> it basically says that, hey, yeah, I got to take responsibility for myself, but nothing to do with my wife. So when my wife yells at me, I'm going to go into a corner somewhere and start doing a chesh ben nefesh and not respond to my wife and her needs. And that's not that's not the way that we're supposed to go. The, fir the first step is, uh, is always to check, understand, listen to her, understand what her problem is, try to understand what did I gift her, did I not gift her, maybe something else that I did from the side and it's coming at me this way. Really have to understand it. And that's, that's very important. And that will improve the relationship and allow you to even become closer and allow you to even be better later on in, in, uh, as the relationship continues. So, so it seems that the most normal thing to do would simply be to ask the wife or the wife, the husband, but we're talking about husbands. Just ask, if, is there something I did to offend you? Is there a reason for, that for uh, sure, for sure, but, that way? And I apologize and I'd love to find out what's going on and try to make amends. For sure. But even if it doesn't come out straight and she can't necessarily articulate it, you gotta, you gotta work. You gotta really think you gotta try to make sure that you're fulfilling all of her needs that, that, uh, that she wants. Okay. So let, let me move on to the second principle. I'm continuing page 41 in the book. It says second, never make any remarks, comments, or criticism about anything she does even if she's done a gross misdeed. So anything, even if she's done something horrific, 
He has uh, this arichus here about a, a woman is unable to accept any criticism or comments from the husband. Um, so uh, she can't, her soul cannot tolerate criticism. So it's a pretty blanket statement here. Don't make any remarks, comments, or criticism. I can understand criticism, maybe. Don't criticize, but a comment, uh, maybe we can improve our relationship together. Maybe we can improve our own midos respectively. Now, what's your take on uh, the husband giving zero input whatsoever to the wife? Okay, so I, I think um, uh, there were two parts to that statement. Um, the, the, end of, the end of the statement was, what was a gross, gross misdeed? Even, even if she's done a gross misdeed. Misdeed, okay. So, you know, if, if someone... Uh, even a spouse, forget about a husband or wife, even if a spouse is uh, eating non-kosher, is machalo Shabbos, damaging his neighbor's property, etc. So they're halachos, they're in Shulchan Aruch, Gemara, of Tochacha, of Lafushim Yisura, holding someone back from sinning. And that applies to a husband and wife as well. There are a lot of laws involved in that. And there are a lot of ways of what, when you should do it, if you should do it, how many times should you do it, et cetera. I don't think that's uh, for me right now to, 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 to go into. Um, but that, that, that applies no matter what. Um, so that, those are the halachos, and someone should uh, consult uh, their uh, local posik on, on when tochacha applies and, and doesn't apply. Um, the first part of the statement, and um, not to even remark on when something um, you don't appreciate. Um, so we have to realize that in every relationship, it's automatic that one spouse is going to change the other spouse. And anyone thinks that they're going to be in a real relationship where the two people are like trying to become a unit and one person's, you don't need the butterfly effect for this one. You know, one person's statement or action or whatever is not going to affect the other person and not require the other person to change with them. That's uh, living two separate lives. And, and, and therefore, communication is, is crucial. The, the question is going to be how you communicate. And, and if there's something that your spouse is doing that you don't appreciate, so first of all, they probably don't want to do it if they would know that you don't appreciate it so much, you know? And it, it, it's, it, there's a certain amount of, of communication that, that is required. Now, you have to be a chacham. Uh, you have to be really smart in how you do it uh, because you never, ever, 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 ever want to hurt um, your spouse and criticism could be super duper dangerous. Uh, people are very quick sometimes to criticize and um, they think it's constructive. So therefore it's okay. And that's not, it's not. Um, so you have to be super careful, but to just be able to make a sweeping statement, like I'm never going to say anything and I'm just going to swallow everything. Um, I, I've met men who've done that. Um, I speak mostly to men. So I've met men who've done it and they've suffered in the long run and it, it wasn't helpful at the end. At the end, it burst out anyway. So it's not, not healthy. So th those men took this approach of uh, don't make any comments, remarks, the deficiency is mine. I, had they read the book, this book? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. They just, on their own, they, 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 I, I'm not sure where they got it from, but they did it. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so if changing the spouse is possible, if we don't want to be a, a shmata, that's probably not healthy for anyone just to be a passive shmata in a relationship. So are, are there always the possibilities of giving positive input and feedback? Is that always going to be a constructive thing to do? Or are there going to be times that it's worthwhile and there are other times that it is preferable to refrain? Uh, for sure. It, 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 it depends a lot. Um, First of all, a person has to realize that when you're in a, a marriage, we're in this for the long haul, okay? And there's going to be many, 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 many years together. The first mistake that I find people to make is that 
you have to change it right now. <laughs> you know, like, like, like this happened, we got to fix it. You know, I'm not talking about emergencies, God forbid. I'm talking about just like a certain way of acting or you'd like your, your, your spouse to wake up earlier or you'd like your spouse to learn more or you'd like your spouse to be a little more social, whatever, whatever the cases are. But you have a long time for people to grow and to change and to develop. And that's the first thing, no emergencies and you don't have to sit down for an emergency meeting right now and, and, and have this very intense conversation. And, and therefore, if you do, if there is something that you'd like your spouse to change, you have to plan accordingly. I have a lot of time for this change to be created. And how, how do I strategically go about letting them know that I would want this, letting them know there's a sensitivity of mine and, and they'll learn over time to be able to, uh, um, to appreciate that. And hopefully the change will come from themselves in a very, very smooth, uh, very smooth way. That, that's the, first, that's the first, first step. And I think the second you do that, it already changes everything. Uh -huh. It just comes to mind. A lot of people come to you. I know. I know you're a sought-after uh, advisor on these areas. A lot of husbands and being at Ashatara and having literally thousands of students over the years. So, what are the most common changes which husbands want to see in their wives? I think the husbands are perking up, coming up, thinking, "Oh, I'd like to make that change also." Maybe the wives listening are listening as like, "Oh, I got to avoid these issues." So, so what would you say of the feedback of the complaints that you've heard of husbands about the wives what's the most common change they want to see the two the two that i've uh, seen uh, i think probably the most is uh the husband not appreciating the wife the way the wife spends her money uh, or sometimes he calls it his money um and uh and yeah things that she just spends without thinking and spends without appreciating uh maybe the hard work that he puts into making the money in the cases that he's working um, that's a big one. It sits on them very heavily. Um, a second is that the wife is too demanding on the husband, not giving him his space sometimes for whatever it is, whether it's for learning or just to like um, have some time on his own um, and, and like being very needy. Those, those are two that are, I would say, more than others. Interesting. Now, I, I know we're focused more on, on the husband's changing the wives, but I'm just curious again, uh, the wives, what changes do they want to elicit in the husbands and how the wives are, are uh, listening in more attentively? <laughs> okay. Um, the, the main one over here is that even if he's doing a lot of things for her, um, she doesn't feel like he's, she's no, he, he is noticing her. Um, so even if he's picking up the kids from school or he uh, um, goes shopping or buys her things, et cetera, but there's a certain basic um, recognition of, oh, I even see that you had a hard day today, like just noticing um, or, or picking up on small things or picking up on little things that she does or, or positive things that he learns from her. Just like constant noticing, appreciation. A lot of men like slip into the, oh, thank you so much. The food was great you know, and not, not noticing that she actually prepared the, the specific side dish that always makes him happy, you know, like, like noticing very, very specific things. Men are horrible at this in general. Um, yeah, I know there are men out there that don't care at it, but in general, we're not so good at this and we need a lot of work on it. And the whip, our wives appreciate that very, very much when the, when the details are, are expressed. Um, so the guy could think that he's really doing great and doing everything and, and he's the perfect husband, we'll call it. Um, but she might not be happy still. Um, and the reason is because he doesn't express to her enough 
Um, not just saying general things like I love you and you're so pretty and you're the nicest person, but like much more specific things that he notices in her life, things that she's going through, things that she's doing positive, um, et cetera. When, when that changes, um, I have found that, um, again, if that was the need that she, need, she, she wanted, um, those, that has been a game changer. Uh-huh. Interesting. I guess the example would be uh, buying a birthday present and oh that's the biggest one the birthday present yes so i have they have uh, I've, I've had guys who spent a lot of money on buying a birthday present and they spent time buying the birthday present and they called uh, her mother to find out what she would like you know and he was so excited and like gave her the present and and she was like and she opens it up and she, she said, i'm gonna read the card first because that and there was no card and like the and like the husband said like rabbi it's ridiculous a card is like a dollar 25 like I bought her a present for uh, several hundred dollars and she wanted the car. Like, come on. And I'm like, hello, buddy. You missed the whole point. You missed the whole point. You should be spending. I once heard this actually from uh, Rev. Aaron David in the Mir Yeshiva. He, he told us, he said, 10 times more time that you put into buying the present, you should put into writing the card. You know, every day you write another line, you write another sentence like, oh, I appreciate this about you and appreciate that. And I learned so much. And you're the way you talk to the kids like this, like, like really get detailed. That card is going to go much further than uh, than uh, than the present that you uh, that you give. Interesting. So so husbands want to make changes in the wives. Wives want to make changes, changes in the husbands. How, how do people typically attempt to go about uh, bringing forth those changes in their spouses? Okay, so like I said before, very often it's like emergency. I got to take care of this right now, you know, immediately. And, and um, that's bad. And they usually jump to something called the compliment sandwich, uh, which basically is uh, you pad the criticism. You, you say something nice about her. Then you uh, go ahead and criticize. And then right away, say, close with something nice so that they don't remember the, night, the, the criticism. And in the beginning, they're like softened up to it. Um, that's a disaster. Uh, a disaster on the highest level. Um, and the reason being is because once they hear the criticism, they know that your first compliment uh, was fake. Um, and second, they get even hurt because they feel like it was just a setup. You know, like it's, it's one thing to, to say a compliment that's, eh, but to say a compliment that you really just used in order to, you know, lay it on her, um, that's extremely hurtful. Um, so, that's bad. It's a big no-no, and um, people should stay very far away from that. Um, yeah, that, that's I find that a lot. That's like uh-huh. a go-to. So, so if, if there's a change that somebody wants to bring forth in the spouse, I assume you have to think once, twice, three times before uh, deciding that it's worthwhile or not. I, I guess that would be the, the first thing to, to process, think through in depth. Let, let's assume that it's a go. You got an Aitza from your Shalom Bias expert, from your Rav. It's a very serious issue. People are on board, your advisor are, are on board, that this is something that's worthwhile uh, broaching the subject on. So how would you advise the person to actually get it done? What's the right approach to eliciting that change in a spouse? Okay, again, as I said, I, 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 you know, I don't know a specific situation, but in general, you have a lot of time to be able to allow this change to occur. And, and, and you, you could be okay with it in the meantime until, until, until it happens. Um, so the best thing is to try to bring the value that you want changed into the environment of the, of the home. Um, that might mean you telling a, a story about someone that you heard. Let's say the issue is 
your spouse doesn't wake up early. Okay? I hear that a lot from the wives, that they, they do not appreciate that their husbands uh, sleep, sleep late. Um, that bothers them very much. So what you would do is when it's not related, he didn't wake up late that morning or he didn't, uh, you know, it wasn't happening recently. You just say like, wow, I read this thing about these people that wake up early and like no one's bothering them. They're able to accomplish so much. Like it's, it's, you said it in the air. You didn't say it to, to, to him or to her directly. You didn't say, let's, let's have a sit down meeting over here. You know, you said at the Shabbos table, you, you said Vartora about it. You said something, something more general, which allows your spouse to realize, first of all, this is important to you. And second, it lets them think, oh, well, maybe I should also do this type of a thing. Now, usually it doesn't work one time, but again, you could say it the next week, you could say it this time, or if your husband, again, speaking in that direction now, if your husband wakes up early one morning, right, then you could say, wow, it was like, it was so amazing the way you woke up this morning. I felt like our day was so much more successful because of it. It was almost like it comes in a form of a compliment. So, so after a while, the, your spouse is going to appreciate what's going on over here, and they will try to make those those uh, those changes. Um, so the influence, the power of the influence, doesn't have to be a direct, you know, let's talk about that issue or the thing that's bothering me about you. That doesn't always have to be that way. Very often, it actually, doesn't have to be that way. And and once that value is brought in, the whole family could change um, and develop together. Okay, and that can work for husbands and spouses, and it can, I assume, sure. it work for ch- your children oh, also. Children, for sure, it's a biggie. It's a very big one. Uh-huh. And, and I guess, is it a process for this or it's just as simple as... Uh... Yeah, you, have to, you have to think about how it's going to work best for your family. Um, the main um, block, I would say, in, in this is when you yourself are not doing it. So, um, you know, like, like the Gemara says in Baba Basra, that there was a, a man who came to Rabbi Yanai and uh, said to Rabbi Yanai, um, the, the community has told me they want me to cut down my tree that's in my backyard that's hanging over into the main thoroughfare. Um, do I have to cut it down? Uh, do I not have to cut it down? And, um, and Rabbi Yanai said, uh, come back to me tomorrow, I'll give you an answer. And uh, he left. And Rabbi Yanai himself actually had a tree in his backyard. So he immediately told the Shamish, go cut down my tree. Right away, he cut down the tree, fine. The guy came back the next day, said, no, do I have to cut down my tree? You don't have to cut down the tree. Yanai said, uh, yeah, you have to cut down the tree. The guy said, hey, but you have a tree in your backyard that hangs over the main thoroughfare. And, uh, and Yanai said, uh, well, if I do, then okay. But if I don't, then you have to cut it down. And he did it. So it's like, why did he have to do that whole story? Just tell him straight. I'll cut it down and you cut it down. We'll do it together. And uh, the Gemara says, because first you have to go ahead and beautify yourself first in order to lead by example. That's the key. You can't, you can't influence if you're not doing it. So you can't start talking about how we have to be more truthful, we have to speak less Lashon Hara, or we have to try to get up more earlier in the morning, etc. If you yourself are already not clearly on the way to go about uh, going about doing it. Um, now, if, if that influence for some reason doesn't work, like it's just not going. It's uh, it, it, and 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 it's really still bothering you. And you feel- yeah, what's what's the plan B? Yeah, plan B. Okay, so so the plan B is you actually might have to discuss it straight, you know, with with, uh, with your spouse. Um, and 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 here uh, is very very key. Um, I I I try to say that, that the way to do it is with uh, seven steps, seven steps to uh, to be able to make this happen. Um, the first is that you have to make sure that. You, you see the positive in your spouse. Okay, let, let me, if, I, if it's okay, I'm going to speak from a husband towards a wife direction, just to make it uh, simpler, okay? So let, let's say his wife is, is messy and that's really bothering him and, and it doesn't allow functioning, et cetera. You see, and he has to address it, okay? 
he has to be able to see, see her not as a messy deficient, you know, he has to be able to see her as good, as capable, as there's a lot of pluses. Sometimes even in being the messy, there are pluses. Like the fact that she's a little bit messy, meaning she's not so organized. She's spending a lot more time um, taking care of her kids and doing homework with the kids and bathing the kids and she's calmer because of it, et cetera. I mean, you have to look at the positive. If you don't see the positive, then you're never going to be able to move anyone. You're never going to be able to influence any change. No one's going to appreciate anything that you're saying because they're going to feel like you're just attacking. They're going to become defensive. It's it's uh, it's a uh, you have no chance. So you really have to work on looking at the, the the person completely positive. Okay, there's this little thing on the side that they have to go ahead and fix, and maybe it's even an important thing, and maybe it's something that really bothers you. But that's not who they are. That's not their essence. They're they're good. That will allow them to go into your hands and allow you to mold them and change them. And it'll allow you also to believe in them that change could actually occur. That's step one, okay? Um, step two, uh, before, before addressing, um, again, your wife, the, the key, you have to be very, very careful about the words that you're going to use. You have to think very hard about what the words are that you're going to use. And that means that it might not, it, it, it might not be uh, right away. You might need some time to think about it. And that's okay. Again, we're in for the long haul here. We're not, we're not changing emergencies. Emergencies, you got to deal with right away. Fine. We're talking about things that for the rest of your life, you want to change. That's the only reason you're talking about it, right? So you think about what, what are the words that I'm going to use? And you might need a little bit of time to think about it, a headspace to go ahead and think about it. And, 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 and that's, first, that's the first step in, in, in figuring out. Next, y- you have to make sure that you're, she feels secure in your relationship. Meaning, someone told us saying but earlier, that most of what she's been hearing from you in the last, we'll call it X amount of time, every relationship is different, has been positive. She's been hearing positive reinforcements from you, that you love her, that you care about her, that you understand her, that you, you're noticing her. It can't be like you haven't spoken in two weeks or you haven't done anything and poof, okay, let me talk to you about an issue. Like that, that, that can't exist. So it has to be that there's been uh, the high majority has been very positive and she feels very secure in the relationship and that she internalized that step step two, that she internalized everything that you've said that, you know, you could tell on the way that she's talking and the way that she's feeling, the way that she's smiling. Like, does she feel it? Does she feel it again? You gave it to her and two, it stayed inside her and it sunk in. So, 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 so step number three is basically the, the bank account analogy that you have to make sure that you have a lot more deposits than withdrawals. Correct, correct. Okay. It's very full, very full. It's like the bun in the Sanders compliment is like massive. You know, like, like it's, it's not just like I said it and that went for the criticism. It's very, very strong I, and I have it, okay? Um, then, like I said, choose your words carefully. If you're very careful with that and take your time, usually what I find is at this point, when you think about how to say it, most, again, men that I'm dealing with end up not doing it at all because they realize, you know what, this is not so important. And like, this really, it's, it's going to be funny for me to even say it. Like the second you start like planning it out, it does, <laughs> you jump ship. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, when I heard, I heard seven steps, I said, oh, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you have to choose your words carefully, take as long as you need. Again, you might jump ship at that point. That's fine. Okay. But now you've, you've made sure that she's secured in a relationship. You know that she internalized everything that you said. You chose your words carefully. Now you're ready to speak to her. You have to make sure that you don't raise your voice even slightly. You're not irritated. Again, like I said before, she's perfect. She, she's amazing. She's awesome. She, there's so much good. Yeah, there's this little issue that you got to deal with. You're not upset about it. Why would you be upset about it? There's so much good. She's so good, right? So, so you're not, it's not emotional here. It's just like a technicality 
that I just like to discuss with you for a moment. Just that you know, it's not something that bothers me. Even if it bothered me last week, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not irritated, and therefore you're not going to raise your voice even slightly. You don't look angry, bitter, annoyed, resentful, disappointed. Like, like you, she, she could read your face. She, she sees that it's not just in your tone; it's not on your face. And 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 lastly, you remain calm the entire time. Okay, if, if you get angry, if you get all excited, no one's going to be able to listen to anything that you're saying. So if you could go through all of these things, so yeah, it, it, it's very possible that the, that the person is going to, your, your spouse is really going to be able to, uh, to change and, and even want to change. And, and uh, you know, I think it would work and I've seen it work. So, so Rabbi Wasman, on that, before we close, uh, give me the example of two of uh, how husbands have gone through the steps and uh, made that change, elicited that change in, in their wives. Okay, I had um, had someone who uh, didn't appreciate um, that their wife was uh, on Shabbos morning, like like just totally like draining around, you know, not 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 getting up and getting ready and taking care of the kids and and and, and certain things that were really bothering him. Um, it, it didn't allow him to go to shul. It didn't allow him to to feel. Uh, um, comfortable with certain things in, in, in the house and, and the safety of the kids. It was dangerous. Again, we're not talking about, uh, God forbid, anything dangerous. That would be, have to be dealt with right away. Um, and I'd spoken to him about it for, for a little while. And um, he spent his time and, and eventually um, brought it up. He sh- explained why he thought it would be even positive for everyone else. And he explained how he even would want to help that she could go to sleep earlier and that she, maybe she could get a rest in the afternoon. And like, like it, was, it, was, it was very, very, very well um, thought out. And, and she appreciated it. She, she, she appreciated at the end that, again, he wasn't attacking her and he didn't see her as like uh, this lazy bum, you know, like uh, I think it maybe at one point he did think that, but, but, but he was able to, when he thought about it a lot more, he realized it's not the issue. And he was able to focus on all her good and um, was able to speak to her. And they had a very, very nice conversation. And, um, you know, it wasn't easy, but she did it. And, and, he, and, and he appreciated it um, very, very, very much. Um, that, was, uh, that was one example um, another, another example was, was the case with the, with the spending of the money, uh, that, that, that was, uh, you know, that was a hot and heavy where she was spending his money and she, he didn't appreciate, uh, the way she was spending. Um, and, and he, he spoke about, he, he spoke to her about how he would appreciate if she could share with him why he, she has these needs to buy these things and how happy it makes her. <laughs> you know, so like, like, bring me into your life a little bit. So I understand even why you're buying it. So that was like, that was a first, that was even without addressing that I have an issue. That was just saying I'd like to be put into your life. I'd like to understand your needs. I'd like to understand why you get excited when you buy these things because they don't excite me. I'm a boy. You're you're a, you know a woman. I so please share with me. And when he let her start to share, first of all, he realized that she didn't need those things, and it was good for him to let her buy it. That that was a, that was a big game changer. So all of a sudden, his, the conversation shifted. And and second. Um, he, he was felt much more involved in certain decisions. And then they were able to talk more. And once it was like open conversation, they were able to discuss it and, and revisit things and, and rethink things. And it was, uh, it was, it was very, very, very healthy. Uh-huh. Now, th- let me just uh, return to where we started. If the approach would have been the deficiencies in the wife are really his deficiencies, since she's the mirror of the husband. And if the approach is principle number two, never make any remarks, comments, or criticism, what, what would have happened in both of those situations and all the situations where the husband is simply going to be reflective of himself? It's my fault. It's not her fault. And I can't make any comments. What's the result of that going to be on the Shalom Bayes? 
um, again, he would have had to he would have had to figure out first of all what that message is, <laughs> where in his um, his own avodas Hashem he's lacking, which probably is a lot of places. So <laughs> he'd have to start like fixing himself and trying to perfect himself perfectly, um, and that probably take a very very long time. In the meantime, he he, he would not understand his wife or her needs. She would not understand really what, what he wants, right? They wouldn't be able to connect on, on that level. Um, and he would not have been able to change. The, the, the change wouldn't have happened. In, in those cases, I remember the first time when the husband came to me, it was like, it was such a big deal. You know, maybe I'm making it sound like it wasn't such a big deal, but by him it was a very big deal, right? And, and when he was able to go through these steps and he was able to have a normal, healthy conversation with her, it wasn't such a big deal. And, and he was able to, to really allow her to go ahead and, um, and to, uh, to change. And, uh, and, and he was happier afterwards. He understood her better. They felt closer afterwards. They felt like they worked. Working through something together brings two people closer. It's, it's a very, very special thing. It's, uh, it's one of the best parts of a marriage. That, that work, working together. What else can you? That's why you want a marriage, to work together. It's all about work, right? So, so that working through things is not just like when, God forbid, something bad happens to both of you. It's working together when no one knows that you're working through things and private and, and, and you're doing it because you care about each other and you only want to help each other. You want to make each other happy. And when you do that, you have a, a very, very beautiful relationship. Haben Rasman, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very, very much. Joining us now is Rabbi David Kaplan. Rabbi Kaplan is the Mashkiach Ruchani of Yeshiva Space Israel. He is a renowned lecturer, a prolific author, and he has even written a book, actually two books, but we'll talk about one book because we'll focus more on men, on Shalom Bayis, entitled My Wife, my queen, I guess we already know where you're going with it, with that title, Rabbi Kaplan, to help every marriage become the best it can be. Rabbi Kaplan, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, my pleasure. I just want to say that I was also the book, My Husband, My King, so the men shouldn't get too discouraged. But uh, the titles and the direction of the book are somewhat different. <laughs> so that, that I look forward to hearing about. So, so what's the core premise when it comes to Shalom Bayis that you operate under? Men are not going to be really happy to hear this. Uh, I myself wasn't too happy to, uh, I, not as much to hear it, as much as to realize it, that 99% uh, of the responsibility of making a marriage succeed rests squarely on the shoulders of the husband. And uh, th that's why I joke that the wife's book, My Husband, My King, is all about how to get your husband to buy the men's book, My Wife, My Queen. So... Uh, the, the, uh, uh, the premise is that men and women are different. Uh, women are, by definition, givers, and men are, by nature, takers. And if a husband gives to his wife properly, uh, she'll reciprocate. And if a man wife gives to her husband, some men often can fall into the trap of feeling, well, if a little bit is good, more is better. And they can take, they have an we, we men have an incredible capacity to take. So, so on this point that men are the issue 99% of the time because men intrinsically are takers, women givers. Is that Lamaisa or is that more Alpi Kabbalah, like more metaphysical? It's no, 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 not, not metaphysical. The, uh, the Barbanel in Sefer Voracious says quite clearly, he asks, why did Akkadosh Baruch create men and women so different. Why not create them emotionally, intellectually, logically similar and only different biologically for the sake of reproduction? Why are we so different? And uh, the answer that the Abarbanel gives, which men will find very unpopular, 
is that uh, men have to learn because we have to break our egos and our selfishness to really learn how to deal with somebody who, and give to somebody who's so different than we are. And in practical, in practically, you find that that's true. And you see that the Gemara says, uh, The obligation is on the husband to honor and respect his wife. The wife has to respect and honor her husband too, but that's how the men address, that's how the Gemara addresses the husband. Interesting. So, so this concept of men are responsible, I, I, I would assume, and I don't mean to put words into your mouth, but I, I think I'm reading, maybe not, maybe it's obvious in what you're saying, that this would apply whether somebody comes to you, I have a Shalom bias issue, uh, Rabbi Kaplan, I need your advice, or if you're coaching a chassan and kala, we'll talk about a chassan in advance, either way, you would tell them the same. Chassan. Same thing. The same thing. Unless it's extenuating circumstances, obviously nothing is 100%. But when there is a shalom bias issue and we get down to it, I will generally see and find that the husband is not treating his wife the way he should treat her. And, and the husband obviously complained, well, she's not treating me properly too, but it's got to start, the cycle starts somewhere. And a man has to understand that the cycle begins with Shona Rishona. And the whole point of Shona Rishona, the Torah says, the let's say she should make him glad and him, it says he has to gladden her. The responsibility is squarely on the shoulders of the husband. And, and the idea is that if a man can establish in the mind of his wife in the first year that he is fully devoted to her and he belongs to her, so then uh, what do you call it? Uh, you know, they should be okay. The problem is that we mess up, Sean Rishon, and we end up having to do it for about 50 or 60 years. So, so we spend the next 50, 60 years fixing up what we bought. That's correct. That's right. <laughs> and Sean Rishon right. is supposed to be the opposite of that. That's right. That's right. That's Got right. It. That's why wives are always testing their husband's loyalty. Can I share a story with you? I just heard a story recently. This, uh, uh, this wife, uh, you know, they're married couples married about 40 years. And she really just doesn't know if her husband is really, you know, how much her husband, what he thinks or if he loves her or not. So she writes a note and puts it on the bed. And she writes in this note that, you know, listen, Herschel, you know, I feel you don't love me anymore. I've had about enough. I'm leaving you. And uh, she puts this note on bed and she crawls under the bed to hide and see what his reaction is going to be when he sees this note. So Herschel walks into the room. He sees the note. And he writes another note and puts it on the bed. He picks up his phone and he says, Hey, Moish, it's Herschel. Yo, Shech, I'm a free man. Let's go drinking and gambling tonight. And he walks out of the door. The wife is under the bed. She's crying her eyes out already. And she, she gets out and crawls out from under the bed. She takes a look at the note. And the note says, Listen, honey, I still love you. But the next time you try to hide from me, make sure your skirt isn't sticking out from under the bed. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Love that. Love that. So, so, so Rabbi Kaplan, let's talk about a, uh, a book. It's become a uh, fairly popular book of The Garden of Peace by Rabbi Shalom Arush. And, and I'd like you to walk us through, is that something that speaks to you? Is that along the same direction that you've gone in your book or is that uh, distinguishable? Uh, the, I've only seen, I've only uh, br- briefly glanced through the book, and those parts of the book which I've seen uh, that, uh, what do you call it? those parts of the book that I've seen, which are, are what do you call it, uh, um, that, that, that I happen to look at, they do very much focus, from what I remember, they focus on what the, how the husband has to treat a wife. And I think Rabbi Arush, Rabbi Arush mentions in his book, you can't have two women in the home. You can't be two women in the home. A wife's going to be emotional. A wife is going to feel physically. She, you know, a woman's body is never consistent. Uh, 
for more than a few, uh, you know, maybe a week or two at a time. Man, we're pretty consistent. You know, our bodies are pretty good. Maybe Motze Shabbos were a little off. But for the rest of the time, we're pretty consistent. And we have to be the ones. I mean, listen, if she's, she's upset about something. So we have to learn how to relate to her based on her emotions. Right. So that's on, on the very practical level. That, uh, I, from what I've seen, that. yes. From what I've seen, yes. On the conceptual level, it seemed that your approach is much more practical. His is much more conceptual in the, in the following sense. Um, he was of the view that um, the man is the giver of Pekabala, and the woman is the taker. And she's simply a, a passive rep- rep- um, recipient of what the man has to deliver. Um, so I see a real dichotomy in, in your approach. So I happen to think that yours is the reality. Um, and that is more conceptual. Well, uh, I see. You see, as a, as a person uh, on a personal level, and also my experience with people, I found that you know dealing with kabbalistic ideas and concepts and theoretics, it doesn't it doesn't do much for people. I, I want my book is very very practical, almost simplistic advice. Do this, don't do that. This is how you should respond under these circumstances. Uh, I even wrote a a list of adjectives that men could use. I don't remember if it's 40 or 50 adjectives that men should take a look at and throw those adjectives in liberally when speaking to their wives. Just constantly compliment them. Without, I don't know, I'm not interested. It doesn't interest me why it works. Even as a person, I don't really care why it works. I, I I just want it to work. So tell me what to do. Okay, so if we have an impasse between the man and the woman, and they come to you and say, um, let's talk about financial. She wants to buy a shaitel, he doesn't want her to, or he wants to buy a new set of tour. And uh, she says, but you just got the last one that came out. And what do you need another one for? Whatever it is, whatever the discussion is, how do we go about breaking that impasse? I I can only tell you how, what my approach, my approach is to find out what's really the underlying issue over here. Uh, Do they, how do they make decisions about anything? Uh, what kind of marriage do they have in general? Do they have a good marriage? Is communication good? Is, is, uh, have they ever discussed how, have they ever sat down and discussed how do we reach decisions? A lot of people never even decided or reached a decision on how to reach decisions. What do we do when we disagree, which every couple does periodically? So, so before I could tell them, I, I, I wouldn't just say, well, let her buy the shakel, which in the end, that by the way, she will, and I will, but <laughs> that's where it's going to lead to. But I, I want to know what the background is over here. What's, there's probably something else that happened, and probably she feels that there's he's, he's being too much of a tightwad, and, and this is only one of several examples. That's usually what comes out. But I want to get to the root of the, uh, is, is he treating her properly? Is he treating her risk with respect? Or, 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 or is he not simply clueless about, listen, I was married. I got married. I have two brothers. I did not have any sisters. I was absolutely clueless about the psychology, about everything. The whole works. The whole works. I was, I was clueless. So I tell her, husband, this is, you know, let's find out what's going on here. Are you treating her properly? Do you put her on a pedestal? Uh, one, can I give one example? Uh, at the Shabbos table, for example, the Shabbos table. In my house, my wife is never wrong at the Shabbos table. Means, you know, we'll be talking about something. Maybe she'll say, uh, we'll bring up a name, let's say Rabbi Chaim Ozer Grzynski. I'm just using a, a far-reaching example. If my wife would say something like, well, was he, is, was he on the Sanhedrin? Right? Or if she'd say, he was on the Sanhedrin, wasn't he? I would never say, no, you're wrong. I would say, oh, well, you know what? You're right in a certain way. Uh, it had been a Sanhedrin nowadays. He'd probably be on the She's always right at the show. Say, no matter what she and she knows it. She laughs about it. And the kids see it and they appreciate it. And, and not at the Shabbos table? 
Not at the Shabbos table, I'd rather not say. <laughs> Wait, can we call her in on this call? <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's get the Rebbets and Kaplan on this call and find out the truth here. <laughs> but they, you know, you got to respect your life. It's different than the way I would relate to a guy. You know, a guy says something, you know, it's like when a guy says, like, oh, Adarabha, you're wrong. That's not true. You know, yeah, men are, are constantly, are constantly squabbling with each other. So the, the I, wife is not a chavrusa. I heard once about this wife. Wife is talking to her husband. She says, Harold, you're not listening to me. He says, I hear every I hear every word you're saying, Shirley. She says, you're not listening with your eyes. You know, and I thought eyes were for seeing. You know, no, no. When you're married for a few minutes, you find out eyes are for listening. And when you're talking to a guy, you can be sitting back to back insulting each other. And that's your best friend. And now you got to you're dealing with somebody who expects a completely different level of treatment. Right. Now, now, this concept of the wife is always right. Is that the philosophy? Or is that something specific to the Shabbos table that whatever she says, I, it's fine? Or, or I, I don't say, no, no, I don't, I don't want to be misunderstood. I don't think she's always right. Women make mistakes. My wife has made mistakes. And when she, whenever she does uh, say something about one of my choices, I'll say, don't criticize my choices. You were one of them. But the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, that that right. to help her save face, in, in, in front of the family, it's all twist things around to show that she's right. She's not wrong. In, can women be wrong? Absolutely. Absolutely, they can be wrong. What I do recommend is that a couple, and this is a Masora I have from my own father, you know, the, the analogy I would use is, is, is a person goes to the doctor. If I go to the doctor 10 times for a sore throat, now, uh, nine times out of 10, the doctor will either say, I do have strep and I need... I need an antibiotic or it's viral and I don't need an antibiotic. I, there are times where I think I'm right and the doctor's wrong. And I'm thinking, well, just give me the antibiotic right now because I know that I have strep. And they'll say, no, it's viral. Now, nine times out of 10, the doctor's going to be right and I'm going to be wrong. The problem is I don't know in advance which is that one time because I think I'm always right. So I have to choose. I only have two choices here. Either listen to the doctor all the time or listen to myself all the time. Because I don't have Ruach HaKodesh to know which is that one time I'm going to be right. In a marriage, when it comes to decision-making, the batting average, as right or wrong, I have found that the wives are more right than the husbands are, a higher percentage. Now, i got to make a decision. So I turn over all of my decisions to my wife because she's simply going to, doesn't mean she's ever going to be wrong. But as a policy, I'm going to be better off that way. And sometimes her decision may be, you make the decision. Because under those circumstances, she feels that I'm better suited for it. But that's her decision. So, so you will make none of your own decisions in your, unless your wife says make this decision? I will, I will offer my opinion, but I will always allow her, to the best of my knowledge, always allow her to make the final decision unless she says, no, you make the final decision and let's decide together and we'll work it out. But, but I will not insist on my way because I've simply got the experience of, of 38 or nine years of marriage. Don't tell her I forgot how many exactly. I, I've got the experience of about 38 years of marriage of knowing that she's got a better track record than me. And I find that that's true for most husbands of the wife. Okay, so, but this isn't a rule, a clause that you have that the it, husband should defer to the wife, let her make the decision. It is a clause. It is a clause. If you're smart, you will defer to your wife because you only have two choices because you don't know in advance who which one of you is going to be right. You always think you're right. And she thinks she's right. Now, you always, but you don't know in advance who's going to be right with Rocha Kodesh. So if she says to do it, I'm better off doing it her way. She's got a certain instinct. Women have that, that you know, that, that intuition. And, and, and the men's logic is often humbled in the face of women's intuition. Okay. And I found that I'm better off that way. 
Uh, so what you're saying is when there are issues that come up, discuss them, present Correct. your respective sides, and ultimately... Uh, Somebody's got to make the decision. Who said it's me? Flip a coin. You'll come out 50-50. Yeah, come out 50-50, so you're going to do worse than, than allowing her to make the decision. Uh-huh. Okay, so so effectively, uh, we could call this the surrendered husband because ultimately he's giving his opinion, but he's surrendering the decision to the wife. I don't call it the surrender husband. I call it the smart and happy husband, not the surrender husband. But but ultimately, he's surrendering. He may be, you know, surrendering is a relative term. I would rather surrender and stay alive than fight to the finish against the enemy and die. So if you want to call it surrendering, call it surrendering. I call it wise and happy. Right. And, and that would apply across the board. You're deciding on a job to take. You're deciding on. That's right. That's right. And I'll tell you why. Uh, uh, men, men's ego and their perception of prestige interferes with their critical judgment. Whereas a woman is able to see through that. Not only that, she senses what's really motivating her husband. Even something as far as choosing a yeshiva katana for my children or a yeshiva gadola. I did the research. I reported it to my wife. And then I, my wife, who knows the kids better than I do, and she knows what's good for and, and remember, as a man, I want the prestigious yeshiva for my son. And my wife is, you know, now, it wasn't that difficult for my sons because it was pretty, for most of them, it was pretty clear what the choice should be. But in where there was an issue, where there was, you know, here's the, here's the data. Now you tell me what you want me to do. I'll give you a quick, a quick word on this. Yes. So, so uh, Parshas Kitzaytze, it says the Afas Tor, we have the Afas Tor, and then we have the Ben Sora Mora. Chazal tell us that uh, it's a result of one or the other. When you have a, somebody, a man who makes a decision to go after the Afas Tor, it's going to inevitably result in, in a uh, Ben Sora Mora. The question is why. So I saw one very nice explanation. It says the concept of the Afas Tor is the man looking at the outside, but not the inside. Correct. She's beautiful on the outside but she's not even Jewish on the inside. And the result of that, that mother, that father is focused on only the outside is gonna result with a kid that has that type of chinuch. It's all about the outside materialism and nothing about substance. That's gonna to lead to Ben Sora Mora. And, and that's one approach. The other approach is that the son sees that the father places his emphasis on superficiality. Yes, yes. And yeah, so yeah. the son says, listen, if that's, a, that's his approach to life, so why should my approach be any different? That's, yeah, so that's the whole chinuch of that child. Right, that's the right. Of that but child. it starts with the father. So the, 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 the vort that I saw is that Evan Ozo said that the same thing applies. He says what we were saying explicitly. He says the same thing applies when choosing a yeshiva. People choose the label yeshivas. They want the designer brands, but they don't look at what's best for the... For the and same with shiduchim. Correct. Correct. The yichus, and you look at the family, and you look at the pedigree, and you look if they have money. But what are you not looking at? The substance, and right. that is the yifatar. Right. I found that shidduchim women are vulnerable on that, or in, in that as well. But uh, uh, you know, nobody's perfect. But overall, you know, when a couple comes to me to speak about it, a father calls me up about his kid, his kid is struggling, whatever the issue may be. I said, if I want to know what your wife has to say. So I said, why? I said, because she knows your son better than you do. He said, what makes you think so? I said, well, tell me, name me, what's his favorite food? Most fathers are clueless. Okay, now let me talk to your wife. But it's more than that. She's able to cut through the ulterior motivations because she genuinely wants what's best for her family, where the husband's ego interferes with that. Very good. Okay, last, last advice for our listeners, Rabbi Kaplan, if we can ask you, 
your your uh, your best advice on approaching Sholem Bayis? My best advice on approaching Sholem Bayis is that uh, you have to realize that you are not the uh, uh, the all wise. God, who decided that you have to have your way and that you are the one to make the decisions and that you know best? The best advice for Sholem Bayes is that a man should respect his wife, appreciate his wife. He should realize Isha Tova, Matana Tova Labala. And he should, exactly what Chazal say, Oava Kegufo, Umechabda Yoser Migufo. He respects her more than he demands her respect more than his own. He'll generally be a happy, uh, a happy husband. The Chazonish said he summed up when his sister was marrying a stipler, and she asked him for marriage advice. So the Chazonish said in one sentence, he said, "At the moment that you want to take, that's the moment you have to give," and that certainly applies to men. Give if you focus on taking, you're going to end up frustrated. You have to focus on giving. That's that's the whole thing in a nutshell. But our approach overall is. I know that there are many men who don't who don't like hearing this. The approach is: if there's trouble in a marriage, it's it's generally the overwhelming amount of time. It's the husband who is not behaving the way he should. If he would treat her properly, he'd have a much better marriage. Very good, Rabbi Kaplan. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. My pleasure. Thank you. Continue that slacker.